Jim Ford. I'm Dan Kurtzke. And I'm Chad Bokelman. And this is the Lantern Cast. What episode is this? <laughs> one twenty. Yeah. Episode one twenty. Um, that one. Yeah. You know, the good one. <laughs> well, just to cut cut you guys off of the past, it probably won't be since I'm heading this one up. Oh. Oh insulted oh. myself, took away your ammo, bam. I don't know what you just said. It's okay, let him have his moment. Okay. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> James let's just edit Chad out of this episode <laughs> he probably will too he did it last time you told him to make me sound like a chipmunk that was oh, awesome that was great that was really great oh man I feel like one day we're just going to make a ridiculously complicated and specific request, and James is just going to turn around and do it like nothing. <laughs> like, like James, for the next 15 seconds, replace Chad's dialogue with random outtakes of dialogue from, let's say, Real World Road Rules Challenge 3 from 1997. <laughs> and they'll do it. <laughs> that, that wouldn't even be funny, though. You know what? It would be amazing if he did it. It would be amazing, but... It would! I mean, like, the entertainment value would just be, like, horrendous. Like, it would be awesome if, like, you know, for the next minute he made everything Chad say sound like a robot voice. Oh, that's too easy. I know, but... And uh, do you, it also it depends entirely what clips he finds. Wait, 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 wait. Everything Chad says in the voice of a chipmunk... <laughs> But a robot chipmunk. No, no, no. In the background, have like random Looney Tunes sound effects. <laughs> so anyway, what are we doing tonight? <laughs> yeah, Chad. So what are we doing? I'm afraid to talk because he's gonna do it now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Chad. Come on. Why am I the butt of the jokes? Jim's the one that garners the complaints from our fans. I mean, That's come true. on. Yeah. We get hate mail about you. <laughs> well, it's, it's nice to receive mail, though. <laughs> Speaking of, lanterncast at gmail.com. <laughs> um, uh, well, we have, we have a big episode planned. We do. It doesn't sound like it, but we do. <laughs> Uh, we're actually discussing philosophy tonight. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Green Lantern and philosophy, to be precise. This was Chad's idea. And Stupid you guys Chad. went along with it. Stupid us. Do, yeah. do, not make, do not make me pull up the uh, thread, because I swear to God, Stupid I'll Chad. take you down with your own words. <laughs> you know, it sounded like a good idea at the time. I'm going to go delete that thread. <laughs> Too late, I've already saved it. <laughs> I yes. believe that, yeah. Dan, quote, um for that. <laughs> Jim, Jim, how could you possibly think we wouldn't be up for this? This is gold. <laughs> <laughs> what? When was that? When did we write that? What are the dates on that? August of last year. <laughs> that, that was a simpler time. We were young. We were naive. Yeah. Jim was still exactly as old as he is, but I was young. I was naive. <laughs> Yep. The good old days. You guys were really excited about this. Yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting, it's a really cool concept. Yes. You know? 
It is, because because there's philosophy in comic books more so today than there was back in back in the day. I mean, just if you think about it, because with the comics code in existence at the time, it was more all of before that. It was all you know violence and gore and you know do whatever superhero stories you want. But when you had to tiptoe around uh, the various topics after the comics code. You you had to find creative ideas, and some people just gave up, which is why you got the crappy Batman, like you know the the real fluff pieces about Batman and and stuff. But it wasn't until like the 60s and 70s when they finally started, you know what, we got to break out of this, and they started finding their own groove with tackling social issues. One of which, I mean, because we're the Green Lantern podcast, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and the story of the stories in Green Lantern, Green Arrow, like Speedy does drugs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, those are social issues you had to tackle, you know, you had to bring to the forefront. And the medium like comics, it was a way to reach the kids. So, I mean, philosophy has to be in that kind of a medium. So They do quote Speedy directly in here, and I really want to find it because it needs to be read out loud. Speedy oh, it's in my chat. Hmm? Is it Speedy Gonzalez? Yeah, go go back to sleep. <laughs> no, it's it, they they stay tackle it in my chapter. By the way, oh, what Speedy well. what's what Speedy says, and and because this is a book, y'all, and it's technically half textbook, half fiction in a way, uh, considering the the subject matter it, it covers. We're only gonna break it down by three chapters, and the ones that we picked that we thought we would go with, um, and. <laughs> It's you know, it is kind of silly though when you think about it. Like this is a big book, it's like two hundred fifty pages or something. It's like fifteen chapters, eighteen chapters, something ridiculous. But you got to admit, yeah. it's a it's a nonfiction <laughs> two hundred page book about a subject matter not a lot of people can stay awake for a whole read through. And that's yeah, that's where it comes down. You know, that's that's really the main issue. Like when we first looked at this book, you know, conceptually, I mean it. It's like a solid idea. You know, it's okay. They're looking at Green Lantern. They're analyzing it through the lens of philosophy. So that would definitely, in theory, be something that really interests us. But what it comes down to, um, and I, you know, I'm sure that we'll get into this more, you know, as we talk about the book, there's a lot of philosophy debating. And, you know, for me personally, like, the extent of my study of philosophy is extremely limited, um, and I don't have that much interest, I think, in philosophy. I have a lot of interest in Green Lantern, but not so much in philosophy, which makes this difficult to get through at times. I think everybody has <laughs> interest in philosophy, at least conceptually. Not enough to pick up a book and read about it at any length, but at least conceptually. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, I, and at the same time, it's weird to say like, like you pick up a, <clears throat> a, a book titled Green Lantern and Philosophy, and then be upset that there's so much philosophy in it. <laughs> but like, I, I kind of agree with you. Like, I, I, <clears throat> I don't know. I guess there were like there were times when I was reading this where it felt like they really just wanted to write about old philosophers. Yeah. But then remembered, oh, yeah, this is a Green Lantern book. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But, but like, when I, I go into this expecting something like, <sighs> like, 
I don't. I want to say more in keeping with like the kind of conversations we have, but smarter. <laughs> and then we get like pages at a time talking about what Aristotle thinks about things in general. That's where I'm kind of like, um. Well, yeah. Well, you have you have to understand the goal of these series <laughs> because this isn't the only philo- you know and philosophy book that's out there. There was I mean I actually own another one in the same series called Superheroes and Philosophy. And then there was super villains in philosophy, and then there's like you know House MD, the TV show in philosophy, and Harry Potter. Oh, basically, basically this stuff is designed as a gateway, as a gateway into philosophy as a whole. You know, you take a subject matter people are familiar with and enjoy. And for us, this is Green Lantern, and we usually cover everything Green Lantern, anyways. But I was probably going to buy this anyway. Yeah. And it's a gateway into understanding. Uh in some cases, concepts, uh, yeah, complicated concepts, and rooting it in something that the reader understands very well, in this case, our fandom of Green Lantern. Well, let yeah. me ask you guys this. How did, how, did you, how did you read this? Like, like, did you immediately just open up, look at the contents, and like, start skipping around? <laughs> I wish. Because yes. I, I, I sat down, and I'm like, okay, you know what, this is 200 pet. 200 or so pages, and it appears to be broken up into four sections or whatever. So that's, that's like 50 pages a day. I'm just going to read this thing straight through. <laughs> I got to the end of, like, section one, which is, like, about 50 pages. And I immediately started skipping around. Because that is, that is, that is... It's a lot of I, information to take in. Yeah. That hits you. That's like, wow. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I... I went at it from basically the same perspective. It's like, oh, it's a book. I'll just read it from cover to cover. Um, and I made it to the end of the second chapter, and it's just like he's talking about willpower, and like I want to be interested in it, and it's just like you know talking about you know fate and predetermined, you know against non-predetermined, and it's just like okay. It's interesting concepts, but they just, you know, they beat it to death until the point where it's just like you're just reading the same words over and over again. Yeah. I Wait, found are you talking my... about by chapter or by section? By because chapter? This, because this is clearly laid out in 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 a subject-specific form. You know, part one, will, will and emotion, the philosophical spectrum, and those three are about that one subject. And then Emerald Ethics, it's not all black and white, and then those four about that one subject. So reading it back to back, you would be beat over the head with those three chapters, and you know the first part, those three chapters talking about essentially the same thing. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, not even that really, because <clears throat> I mean there like something I I didn't notice all the time, but in a lot of cases, and I didn't pay attention to who wrote which, so maybe it's just specific writers in this, because there's multiple writers. <clears throat> think yeah yeah, yes (laughs) um but like there was there was a bunch where like you start read like like the chapters are like 11 pages long or something yeah which is good yeah that's good that makes it bite size doesn't always feel like 11 pages but (laughs) but like there would be times where i'd read like like page one of a section and you could almost see like the thesis statement then like of like the question they're asking and the answer to it and then you have to read about 
them explaining that further for another ten pages, <laughs> and it just kind of like th- like there were there were I don't even remember which ones, but there were parts where I'm like, why am I still reading this part? They already told me everything they wanted to tell me. This is just like the more verbose version of it. Yeah. And then after a while, like, I started, there were points where I just got angry at this book. Like, and, and I'm not, tr- I'm not criticizing your choice for topics or anything, Chaz. Don't take it that way. No, but no, like, no. I, I understand. This is, this is essentially a textbook. We're not reading fiction anymore. Oh, yeah, no. And, and I knew, I knew going in, like, okay, there's not going to be any story or anything. This is going to be talking about, like, philosophy or psychology, depending on what day of the week you asked me to say what the book's name was. <laughs> but, like, like, Especially early on in that first stretch of 50 pages or so, like, I felt like I was reading somebody's, like, high school book report. You know, it was like, but, but Green Lantern themed. You know, and like, and like, you know how, how sometimes people do that thing where they, um, they'll unnecessarily fill their sentences with big words to sound smarter? Like, I felt like there, like especially in the beginning, there was a lot of of like clunky references that really didn't need to be there. But yeah, I but I, I I'm not I'm not saying this was their motivation, but it felt like they were trying to go, hey everybody, look, we know what we're talking about because we know these character names and their references <laughs> instead of just like like I did like I'll do this with comics sometime where I read a really clunky couple lines of dialogue and I'll think, well, why didn't they just say it like this and like. Uh, I had yeah. meant I had meant to highlight like there's this one sentence really early on where it's like it's a paragraph in length and it has like three or four references to characters or something in it that you really didn't need to convey the exact point that they're trying to give and I'm <laughs> never gonna find it now. But, uh, <clears throat> but well, the only critique I'll give this besides the fact that if you're reading it, don't read it cover to cover because of the way it's laid out. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, these people are philosophy experts, not Green Lantern experts. Yeah. So there are a couple of small mistakes in here that, you know, as 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 a reader of the whole, I'm not disappointed in. But if you're reading it chapter by chapter and skipping around, you could probably get a little upset if you ran into something that was off. So. And, I mean, to add to that, like... Trying to read it cover to cover, that just did not work for me. But when I, you know, went through the the chapters and picked out one that you know I was going to cover, and just did that one chapter, <laughs> I actually enjoyed it like you know significantly more. So, yeah, like definitely down the road, I'm going to attack this you know at random chapters depending on what I happen to be interested at the time, so that I, I hopefully will get more out of it. <laughs> Yeah, and and for what it's worth, I mean, my chapter that I picked, I actually learned something real world applicable that I didn't previously understand. So, Uh-oh. yeah, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. This is why my <laughs> this this is why my chapter is probably going to be the longer review of the three. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> you 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 forget this. This is Chad who who is. A philosophy junkie, as well as when you and your wife asked for questions for the well, Valentine's Day episode, I submitted philosophy questions as well. So, was there any ever ever any uh, 
thinking that I wasn't going to take this in depth. You know, it never occurred to me actually. I actually I forgot all about that. But now that you say it, it's like, oh yeah, he did do that. Yeah, <laughs> I had completely forgotten about it too. And now that you mentioned it, I still have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. I feel like well, we should go back and listen to old episodes so we can screen his future idea. <laughs> I feel like we should never do that. <laughs> I'm I'm a Green Lantern his the the Lantern cast historian for a reason. So. That's right, we need to replace you <laughs> with someone in our pocket. Uh, <laughs> oh, poor, poor, poor you for me keeping you honest to what you told the listeners you'd do long ago. Uh, Shut up. <laughs> Jim, get that noise-canceling gun. <laughs> All, All right. Time. Um, let's see, I guess, you know, I, I chose in this book, uh, uh, it's chapter nine, it is called it's in the section, let me see, it should be, the title should be here somewhere. I believe it's called, oh crap. Oh, I'm with Green Lantern, Friends and Relationships, which that didn't really sound, whatever. <laughs> uh, the, the chapter itself is called, I Despise Messiness, the Plato-Aristotle Debate in the Troubled Friendship of Green Lantern and Green Arrow. Uh, and for what it's worth, this was written by Brett Chandler Patterson. Um Basically, you know, I, you know, I highlighted a couple of passages, but what they do is they approach Green Lantern, Green Arrow, the series by Denny O'Neill and Neil Apps, uh, started with the whole idea, uh, Julie Schwartz, and um, they attack it by examining the Green Lantern, Green Arrow friendship and the dynamic and the different way in which they interact with people, and they compare it to Plato and Aristotle, and the reason they do that is because. Uh, the Greek philosophers Plato and Aristotle, Aristotle being a student of Plato uh, back way back when, uh, have have had a debate that we've that philosophers and you know just people in general have kind of let seep into their their systems over the centuries, and that debate is is basically about censorship. Uh, boiling it down, in in you know there's a, a famous book by Plato called The Republic, Plato's Republic. Uh, and in that uh, writing, he talks about um, censorship, and more specifically, he talks about how you know he believes that theater or any kind of fiction is bad because young people will want to imitate those uh, vices, whether it be lust or whatever it may be, on that are portrayed on the stage in their real life. And in his mind, that does not contribute to the greater good, like a, a utopian view of society. Whereas Aristotle's viewpoint later on uh, became, you know, that fiction in our lives is very important. And it, it provides an escape route in which we can live out and experience things that are too painful for us to experience firsthand. It's, it's, uh, it's, you, you let go of the issues that, that, that you bear uh, that would generally lead to a, a social abnormality. So that, that's basic. I mean, that's a lot of, Subtext that's that's boiling it down a lot. But what's really interesting about this this particular chapter is that it compares Plato to the Comics Code Authority and Aristotle to DC Neil Adams and 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 uh, Denny O'Neill. Mm -hmm. In the Comics Code Authority had this Plato cut type ideals in which the comics comic books went too far, and you know because of the exposure by Frederick Wortham. 
it went under regulation by the government. Uh, well, technically, uh, by the comics uh, publishers themselves, they broke free of that regulation, and then they proceeded with the caution and like the foreknowledge that that they can and have gone too far. And if you compare that to today, I mean, what do people compare that kind of uh, history to? It's like video games. You know, video games are too violent and. You know the I, the argument that has been made countless times is because you know after a if you hear about a school shooting or some kind of uh, you know youth violence they attribute it to too much violence on TV and too much violence in the video games and you know these people of course if they're going to play these violent video games then they're going to want to live it out and that very very closely parallels to Plato's argument that fiction makes you want to live this out whereas Aristotle's idea that you know you have a, a way in which to learn and experience these things that you normally wouldn't have a chance to and just interact with life on, as a whole identifies with what Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams did in DC, where they saw that problems that were going on in society around them portrayed them in comics and used it as a tool for people to learn. You know, not Denny O'Neill said it perfectly when uh, Jim and I interviewed him not long ago. What he said was, you know, they the big deal was you weren't allowed to draw someone, you know, show like with with drugs in particular, showing them how to use drugs and stuff. And what Denny O'Neill told us specifically was he finds it very hard to believe that a heroin user or a drug addict would have to figure out how to use that that substance via a comic book page. So, I mean, that's it, it goes too far. And what, what's even better about this particular chapter is they also make the parallel between Green Lantern and the Guardians of the Universe to Plato and Green Arrow to Aristotle. And what, what I came to discover later on is that after – with my history with this series, Green Lantern – did wrong in a lot of ways. If you remember the very first issue, if you read it, uh, the very first issue of the series has Green Lantern out on the streets, and he's has there's this kid that's shoving this you know fat cat guy in a suit, and, you know this businessman, and he's telling him off. And Green Lantern flies up on the scene, and he sees what's going on, and he thinks some kid causing trouble. I'm gonna send him off to jail. But Green Arrow happens to be sitting off to the side, and tells him what he really did. That this fat cat business guy is actually evicting everyone in this building. And the young man who, he, who Green, Green Lantern just sent off to prison is the only source of income for this old woman he lives with and that he's just trying to defend the people. And in the course of this, you are led up to the roof and you're talking to this one uh, elderly black man and he says something to the effect of, I, I've seen what you've done for you know the purple skins and I've heard about what you do for your masters with the blue skins or well, what I... I'll, I want you to answer me this. What have you done for the black skins? And it really humbles Hal and forces him to focus on Earth, not just the law and the the strict rules that he was taught to obey. But later on in the series, it's not just Green Arrow's mouthpiece telling Hal off what he's doing wrong. Because later on in the series, in a popular, very popular storyline called Snowbirds Don't, Don't Fly, Speedy... Uh, Green Arrow's sidekick is caught using heroin. And the argument there is, if you're so high and mighty, Green Arrow, how come you didn't see this going on beneath your own nose? And it's it's very reminiscent of the debate between Plato and Aristotle because this debate between Plato and Aristotle has been going on 
for centuries for a reason because they both have a point and they're both in a way right and it it's it's never going to get solved is 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 the whole the whole thing there and what's what i came away thinking about this was yes green lantern green arrow tackled social issues but was really cool is they also tackled what was happening to the writers as they were doing it like the they were portraying the debate that DC Comics and the Comics Code Authority was having at the time in the interaction between the two characters. So it wasn't just tackling social issues. It was tackling the issues and working out what was happening to them right then in the moment as well, which I thought was incredibly awesome. So that, that's – you know it's long-winded, but I took a few notes so I could get the breakdown right but that's that's the basic gist of uh, chapter 9 of this this book so so essentially what the what the argument is is that plato is saying that life imitates art and aristotle is saying that art imitates life right uh, later on in in the book it was actually something i highlighted plato's argument and let me his example here is something about like um, uh, uh, a craftsperson or God making something, a craftsperson making something, and an artist painting an imitation of that. And he says his basic example is, is of a table. A god fashions the concept of the table, the carpenter carves the table, and the painter offers a representation of the table. Plato argues that as we move from one to the next in this series, we move fur- further from the truth. Hmm. So basically, he he compares that to art, and at the time, one of the biggest uh, arts at the time was poetry, in a way, and he compared it to poetry and said, you know, as the poet arouses and nourishes this element of the soul, he destroys the rational one. So by distancing yourself through art and through various forms of art, be it poetry or, you know, theater or anything else that's coming up in the times, you're distancing yourself from dealing with the real world issues that are happening. You know, if, if you can make a car and paint a car, which is better, making the car or painting the car, you know, you, you have a tangible thing that works and functions in the knowledge to actually make it. But the artist is just drawing what he sees. And he argues that the artist isn't really doing anything, but just putting what he sees on. At the same time, isn't distancing yourself from the real world kind of the point in a lot of cases? Just because, I mean, entertainment as escapism, you know? Yeah. Right. And Arist- the, the chapter on Aristotle, just to clarify your point. It is easier for us to view painful traumatic events in art rather than to experience them directly. Well, additionally, you know, okay, there are some painters who will paint something directly, and then there are some painters who will, you know, take that item and put their own spin on it, and then, you know, that painting could inspire somebody to build something else new. You know, like, just because it's further from the truth, you know, doesn't mean it's not going to be the inspiration for another truth. Yeah, I mean, how many brand new things 
start out as sketches in a notebook. You know, I mean, the first, you know, we didn't just spontaneously have helicopters. Somebody had to dream up and draw and design and plan out a helicopter. And then, hey, we have helicopters now. Yeah. That crazy guy didn't doodle that thing. We might not be able to have our whirlybirds today. <laughs> okay. Right. And uh, and just as as a personal note, the, the thing I learned after reading this was, I got to thinking, you know, why is this a continuous debate? If one to me sounds so clear, and it was, you know, it kind of made me think about humanity since over the past decades, and like the decades of the 30s and 40s and 50s were very, you know, you know, uptight, you know. We raise our children a certain way. We don't do this and this and that so they can be grow up to be moral, upstanding citizens. And, you know, that's something you really think of about those decades. But in the decades that follow, you have, you know, like Woodstock and all these things, you know, the anti, you know, hippies and the anti-Vietnam movement and all this kind of stuff that really also identifies with the Aristotle viewpoint. You know, you got to live life in experience it as a whole and you can't crush down art and you can't have censorship because you're not really living life like that and it's but then you if you think further back there's you know the the english colonies and you know the rebellions and then there's uh the renaissance and medieval times i mean there's there's it's just been back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for centuries so i mean it really it really made me think and and part of the reason it, it got me thinking that is because at the very end of this chapter they very clearly i won't read it because i'm already going too long uh, they very clearly identify with aristotle should how we should grasp onto that concept and not censor you know it, but i i guess they're biased because in a way they're talking about a medium that portrays this, you know, they're talking about an art, which is comic books and a particular subject matter granted, but they're talking about an art. <clears throat> so, yeah. Well, I think for me, it always seems <clears throat> in my opinion to come down to people want something to blame. You know, like you gave the example of video games and like, I know right, like right now, like while we're recording this, they're, trying to figure out if there's a link between violent video games and bullying. You know, like not like like not even just violence in general, but like this specific problem that people have been looking at in schools. And like it goes back to like throughout human history, people have been been coming up with with possible scapegoats for for whatever it society or societal ills they could think of, whether it made sense or not, you know, it's doesn't matter if you're trying to to blame poor harvest on the girl down the way being a witch, or if you're trying to say, well, well, kids are delinquents these days because they play too many video games or they read these violent comic books. Yeah. Well, if she's a witch, she'll float. <laughs> What else floats? <laughs> Very small Nothing. rocks. Huh. Um, okay, so Dan, what you hated? Oh, you hated right. this book. <laughs> I didn't hate it. <laughs> I did. I did do that thing where you read a couple pages and then you immediately count to see how many you have left to read. Oh God! <laughs> I'm like, okay, ah, oh, seven pages left. Okay, ah, oh, five, 
Paige is like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, but Chad, I have to, since before we get off your thing and completely, I found the speedy quote. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I had that. I was ready to go. Uh, what speedy says, and I quote, uh, well, is it, one house. Do it in like no, a kid no, voice or something. no. I'm already sick. I'm not going to try and fake a high-pitched voice. Uh, basically, when James, Hal starts... James, give him a high-pitched voice. <laughs> My God. When Hal starts questioning him, um, you know, Speedy, uh, Roy Harper, um, his quote is, uh, Speedy, that is... I had the sermons thrown at me, but Lantern, your generation has been known to lie. Dig it? Uh, you've told us war is fun, skin color is important, and a man's worth is the size of his bank account. All crocs. But uh, so why believe your drug rap? So. Oh, that's how you're gonna read it. Come on! Like, <laughs> I had the sermons thrown at me, but Lantern, your generation has been known to lie. Dig it? You've told us blah blah blah. All Crocs. So why believe your drug rap, man? <laughs> Throw a man in there. Dig it, dude. <laughs> it's like it's so weird. Like I know how serious the scene is, but like. Just like the, it's awful. It just makes it funny. Uh, yeah, and you know, what? I don't know. I guess I knew this, but I forgot that the whole um, the blue skin, purple skin, orange skin, black skin thing was like what kicked off the whole hard travel and heroes. Thing. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Because the the guardians actually when when. Hal figured out what he what was actually going on, and he actually went to go confront the businessman who he defended earlier, and the Guardians reprimanded him and called him to Oa. And then Green Arrow got in their face, too, and told him, you know, you got to experience it firsthand before you can make a judgment. <laughs> yeah, you which, got to. Which, which is why you end up getting a mad Guardian that uh, does something like take pieces of planets and uh, conform them into one whole planet. Sounds good. Crappy, who would read that? Uh, uh, whoever, uh, I, I can assure you, whoever would read that probably wouldn't finish. You know, I'm actually recording it tomorrow morning, so uh, shush. Okay. Let me hold my breath on that one. Oh, please do. <laughs> uh, okay, Dan, what's your Any, character? Uh, the one I settled on to was... The it, it's a uh, page one forty nine. It's a uh, chapter eleven or part eleven. It has a big glowy eleven at the top. Uh, the oaths of Saranic Natu. Can a doctor be a Green Lantern? And this is written by uh, Ruth Tallman and Fashion Southworth. I don't know. <coughs> uh, Jason. Uh, really? That's a J. Yes. It's not an F. It's a J. It's very F-like. <laughs> okay. Whatever. Fasten. Okay. At the, the first... But this immediately caught my attention because so much of this is, like, Hal-centric in this book, and, like, there's, like, some Sinestro peppered in there. And I did not expect to see a chapter that zeroes in on, like, this random alien lantern. So I'm like, oh, let me see what that's about. And it's a... <clears throat> It's, I think, it's a pretty, like, I, I'm definitely not going to have a, going to go on as in-depthly as Chad, but, like, to me, like, to me, like, this was, a, like, a simpler concept of, like, okay, is it, 
like the title said, like, is it possible to be a doctor and a Green Lantern? Which I don't think is a question we've really thought about before when it really should be like this huge conflict because you're essentially being entrusted with completely opposite sets of responsibilities. Um, uh, You know, they cite the difference between oaths as like a big talking point for this thing, you know, the Hippocratic oath versus the Green Lantern oath. And, and uh, for the most part, they're both, you know, there's nothing like binding about either one of them. You know, the, the Green Lantern oath is just like this affirmation to kind of pump you up and remind you why you're doing what you're doing. And the Hippocratic oath is like, like, I think they even call it like a general moral guideline. Like there's, there's no like, like, real ramification from reaching the Hippocratic Oath. Like, like the, the very fact that you do it isn't going to get you in trouble. Like, maybe what you do to breach it will, but but uh, the only real stumbling block would be for you personally on a moral level. And <clears throat> they make an interesting observation that's, like, really obvious. And, like, it, it's, it's that Saranic has not stopped doing either of these jobs. You know, she hasn't... Like, she initially wanted to give up the ring, but she didn't. So she's kept going as a Green Lantern, and she's tried like hell to keep going as a doctor, as a surgeon. Even though doing one kind of means turning your back on the other. You know, as a a Green Lantern, she's basically... basically like a soldier, a law enforcement officer. She has to to deal out violence on a regular basis, sometimes in extreme manners. And on the other side, she has this training and this mantra that tells her you help anyone who needs it. You know, you know, she, she is someone who's trained as a healer, whose job is to, to basically, if she happens across somebody who needs medical aid to give them that aid, while she's out in a battlefield shooting people. Yeah, and they make they uh, liken her to like a wartime medic who, you know, they have to, has to be trained as a soldier to go out there but at the same time is expected to to still do all the jobs a doctor would do and um uh, and they made like an interesting point of you know, to her, they're really... I don't know if she's the character that ever said this, or if this is just something they're extra- extrapolating from her actions, but that, to her, there's... there's no clear answer to, to which of these oaths is more important than the other. Because she... she could stop one and just focus on the other, but she won't. She sees them both as equally important. So, no matter what, like there, there is. She's in a no-win situation. If she chooses to embrace her responsibilities as a doctor, it means failing at her responsibilities of, of as a lantern, and vice versa. And there's no, there's literally no good decision she can make. So she goes on trying to straddle the fence in a way that can ultimately never work. And I think the conclusion they come to at the end of this is that she should give up the ring. Yeah, that's what they say. 
Yeah, and focus on like the thing that that um would do, I guess, the least emotional and ethical damage to her. Which, because I mean that that uh, part during the Sinestro War where she was holed up in the streets of her homeworld, performing like back alley operations to help the people because because uh, the anti Green Lantern mindset of the government on Korrigar forbade her from entering a hospital like as staff so she actively broke planetary law to basically do what she wanted with her power which is something that the green lantern corps are not supposed to do they're supposed to respect like the local laws and customs of whatever world they're on even their own and uh, i'm trying to remember i think they also made a case in here that if you're if you're single-mindedly kind of gung-ho about will, that kind of that might get in the way of like other things you need to be thinking about or feeling to be a good doctor. But I can't. That might be a different chapter. I don't know. What do you guys think of all this? Well, ahead, uh, what you call it? Um, if uh, if she's a Green Lantern. And she's out in space flying around, you know, tackling threats to the sector. Then I would think that her, you know, her Green Lantern responsibilities would have to come first. Whereas if she's in the jurisdiction of her planet where she took the oath, you know, that would be where the oath takes precedence. Um, I mean, you know, in addition, like, uh, with, with like a wartime medic, you know, like if you're out on the battlefield, if you're a soldier out on the battlefield and you're fighting, you know, and you, you know, you get the other, you know, the, the, you know, whoever you're fighting, you're not going to go and drag him to your medic so the medic can, you know, can stitch him up. You're going to finish that battle, you know, and then you're going to focus on your own guys, you know, and then if you've taken any prisoners, then you may, you know, clean up the survivors of the other guy. So, you know, once again, with Ceranic, like, you know, even if she is on the battlefield, then, you know, it's like you, you wait until the battle is over, and then you start, you know, fixing up your own people first. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't really think that she's, you know, really come into conflict too much so far. Yeah, it's something they touched on lightly when with her, like early on when she did go back to Korrigar, like at the right before the uh, Sinestro Corps War, but it really hasn't. I don't know. It. I mean, reading this makes me feel like it really should have come up more than it has, but I don't know. It's an interesting question of like, okay, could she just stop one or the other? Well, the deal is you have to understand the Hippocratic Oath. I mean, you, the Hippocratic Oath is essentially you help people at, at any, at any point possible. You don't aid them in death. Um, you know, the, the whole debate earlier in the chapter was talking about how the debate rages on whether you should, the doctors should only help, serve to help people get better as best as possible, or should they know when it's, it's, too late to do anything and there's nothing more they can do and aid them in dying 
And yeah. and the deal the deal there is, I mean, I watched this episode because I used to be, well, still am, I'm a big fan of the show House. And um, one of the episodes was a death row inmate got sick, and um, House was charged with figuring out what was wrong with him, and had no qualms with healing him and giving him back to the the, the prison system to be put to put to death. I mean, it, it didn't matter what was going on. His his mantra, his oath, as it were, was to help whenever he could. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, I mean, at the same time, the Hippocratic both originally forbade doctors from performing surgery. So, like, this thing has been, like, written and rewritten, like, over the years to the point that it's, I think it's, the point of it is just more generally, like, like, okay, be a good, be a good person, do good doctory things. <laughs> so, like, I, th- I feel, I think it's, like, it's almost open to interpretation. You know, like... Yeah, well, I mean, the, the other thing is, you know, and I, I don't know if they address this in the book, but you're talking about an alien from an alien world where, you know, their, you know, quote-unquote Hippocratic Oath may be something completely different. Just because she's a doctor doesn't mean she's a doctor by our standards or and rules. Well, they did. They mentioned she has her world has like their equivalent of our Hippocratic standards. Mm-hmm. So you can basically fill in ours as a placeholder. Ah, that's that's BS. That's every planet from Star Trek ever. All right. <laughs> She does. She, if you remember, um, Dan, you're a big fan of the storyline. Maybe you remember in Green Lantern Corps Recharge. Isn't that where she first made her appearance? Yes. Uh, she does say something when she's trying to reject the um, the ring. In addition to the fact that the history of the ring on Korrigar was Sinestro, she does say something to the effect of what she is oathed or has promised to do as a doctor on Korrigar. I think so. Yeah, I believe she does. I mean, to run and get the book, but I, I do believe yeah. she says something about that. Yeah, well, she also, if I'm remembering the scene right, she part of the reason why she accepts it is because it can help save a patient that they were losing. Right. So, in that case, wouldn't wouldn't uh, uh, her duties as a doctor be served better by embracing? duties as a Green Lantern. And, in fact, the <laughs> oath that she took to be a doctor would require her to accept the ring, then. I don't know. Green Lanterns do a lot of harm. <laughs> when when, the, uh, when the, the law came about that you could kill, like, the lethal force was enabled, I specifically remember a Lantern. It could have been Sora. I don't no. One of the lanterns refusing to kill, if at all possible. That might like, there, there, was, there, there, was, there was some tension in that. Like, there was a few lanterns who were just like, I, I cannot do this. That sounds like Kyle. No, it wasn't, it wasn't one of the Earth Green Lanterns. I mean, they might have said something about it, but someone made an adamant point in the Sinestro Corps War when that law was revealed that they did not want to kill. 
I remember Kilowog being super shocked by it, but I can't remember if it's him. Yeah. It probably wasn't, because his name is Kilowog. <laughs> Listen, just because the guy named Sinestro turned out to be evil. <laughs> uh, okay. I really, uh, I would... No, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead Dan. I, I'm saying I, I wish they would use her again, because I would like to see some of this turn up in the book. Yeah, well, as, as long as go back to the whole Kyle thing, uh, I'm sick of I'm sick of comic books. You know, once a relationship ends on a bad note, then they immediately go back to it again and again and again. But I, I had one follow up question. I'll ask this to these two when you finish your 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 synopsis of your chapter. Dan, why did you pick this particular chapter? Like both, I mean, in general, like you know, oh, it was just a cool text piece or and philosophically like why why you in this chapter particularly why like, did it why, interest you like like initially or after i read it why, why the subject matter like for me for me i've always been like concerned in my mind with the dual nature of the human psyche and in and how we all have impulses to one or the other, you know, which is why the, the Plato-Aristotle debate hung in my mind as something real big is because both have points and both ha- ha- have advantages, both have disadvantages, which is, you know, you can compare that to good and evil. I mean, whatever you will. And I also picked it for another reason is because down the line, you know, just just for logistics, down the line I'll be covering, you know, in some respect, the Green Lantern Green Arrow run. So it made sense to go with this chapter, too. So I had a philosophical reason for picking it and a, and a logistic reason for picking it. Uh, well, I guess for me it was it was interest, because, like like I said, like a lot of this book is either very general or focuses on Hal Jordan. And then I flip the page, and, oh, here's a whole, whole chapter on ceramic Nate Tube. And that in itself was really unexpected. And then... When I read like the question it's asking, you know, can you be a doctor and a Green Lantern together? And that in- that piqued my interest because I that I remember I I have never thought of that I had never thought about that before. And I was like, huh, those two are kind of in opposition, aren't they? So and like as I said, like like this. I don't know, it was probably, this was probably my favorite chapter out of the thing, just because of that, and because of, like, I like the, some of the points it raised, and it got me thinking about, like, just something very basic and surface level about this character that we've been reading about for a very long time. That just yeah. never happened to occur to me before. Not, not to mention you're pretty obsessed with the core in general, so when someone else is focused on besides a human lantern, you're probably yeah, screw ready this. to jump on the... Screw this human shit. <laughs> Come on. Which which makes me wonder why you didn't pick the chapter about Mogo and the and the math equation and all that. I actually didn't get to that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I probably would have. <laughs> <laughs> what surprised me is um actually this might be in Jim's chapter. Jim, what chapter were you doing again? Uh I was doing the the greatest Green Lantern stuff. Okay, yeah, no. I'll I'll say my piece when we get to that, because I think it's in there. Okay. You're up, Ford. Okay. Um, yeah, I went for The Greatest Green Lantern, Aesthetic Admiration and the Praiseworthy Hero. Um, 
this is this chapter is all about you know what actually what really got me on this one was how it starts out with you know saying how Hal Jordan and Sinestro they have both you know garnered the title of like the greatest Green Lantern um, Sinestro when he was a Green Lantern and after that you know Hal Jordan um, but then you have Kyle Rayner and he was never labeled the greatest Green Lantern, even when he was the only Green Lantern. <laughs> uh, and I thought about it, and it's true. I mean, it's it's absolutely true. Um, when you think back on you know Hal Jordan, it's like yeah, okay, you you know you just kind of take it. He's the best Green Lantern, mm-hmm. and it's it's so ingrained that Sinestro was the greatest Green Lantern when he was Green Lantern, also. But with Kyle. You know, even though he wasn't the greatest Green Lantern, like, he was still my favorite and definitely, you know, one of the most interesting. Uh, And this chapter basically goes into, like, why, you know, people like Hal Jordan and Sinestro would be considered the greatest, you know, and why that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, And... I, I really, I actually really, really enjoyed this this particular chapter. Um, you know, it's it's talking about how between Sinestro and Hal Jordan, they both do things very boldly. Um, you know, they don't they don't question it. They have their you know internal you know moral compass that tells them what is right, and regardless of whether or not you know society in general would agree with them like they know it themselves to be true and they follow that and they act boldly and they don't second guess anything and like in general you know they they say that that is something that we you know as the reader admire it's something that we you know um, we look to we idolize kind of but you know, they, they go on to compare, you know, this kind of thing to um, the Sophocles um, plays uh, Oedipus Rex and Antigone. Um, but the thing that, that I really, you know, that I thought was really cool, though, about it is that when I read Oedipus Rex, like, you know, many years ago, you're talking about high school now, I hated that play. And, like, the, the, the main character, yeah, like, he did bold things, and you know, I guess he's, you know, the tragic hero of the book, but I hated him. I, I thought he was awful. It was just, you know, completely abysmal. And the reason that I thought that was interesting is because how many people on our forums love reading Green Lantern, but they hate Hal Jordan? Me. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's like they call him, you know, like a you know one-dimensional. He's like a cardboard character. He has no personality, and you know, like I think I think now at this point, you know, they've they've really developed him a lot as a character. So, you know, I don't know that the same, um, you know, the same explanation of his character can you know hold true as it once did, but. By the same token, you know, he is absolutely the character that, you know, that goes and does things boldly. And, you know, he's like he's like larger than life in that, 
you know, most of the people that you meet will conform to the standards of society. And Hal Jordan, he goes by his own internal compass. Um, and I guess there's this philosopher, Hegel, uh, G.W.F. Hegel, that, you know, talks about these, you know, tragedy and tragic heroes. Um, and how when you are going by your own, you know, internal compass, you know, you are, you're going by what you think is right, but sometimes, you know, you can get turned around a little bit, and that's how you fall into the trap. Um, and hence, you know, Coast City and things like that. It's, you know, even though he had parallax, you know, attached to him, if anything, <laughs> the this this writer is saying how when Parallax was attached to Hal Jordan, really the only thing that was different was that Parallax was causing Hal Jordan to actually formulate a plan instead of just go at something head on. Hmm. You know, like it's like okay, well, you know, I'm going to destroy the universe and then rebuild it again so that nobody is going to, you know, have to worry about pain and anguish and whatnot. And in order to do that, I have to take all these different steps, whereas, you know, typically Hal Jordan would just rush headlong into it with a giant fist and, you know, defeat the problem with his willpower. Um, you know, and then also you have Sinestro, who, you know, same thing, like, just because he was going at it from a, you know, a different perspective, like, okay, well, everything has to be order. Um, you know, he's, he's following his own internal compass to what he believes is right. And he's not taking into account mm -hmm. the feelings of his, you know, his people that, you know, hate being ruled like that. But, you know, by the same token, like he is creating order. He's taking away, you know, crime and, you know, any problems that these people would have while also taking away their free will. Um, and because he, you know, because he does the same things like that and follows his own moral compass, that is why he is a, a like a villain that, you know, people like, you know, he, he's a, a, a compelling character, um, you know, and it, it blurs the line as far as whether or not he's evil. Although they did say, they made a point of, you know, saying how this basically came about with uh, the, um, what was it, the, not Secret Origin, the... Uh, em Emerald Dawn. Emerald Dawn. Yes, Emerald Dawn 2. Uh, before that, Sinestro was basically just like the one-note villain that he was doing things because he was evil. See our Sinestro spotlight, folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, and it was after Emerald Dawn 2 that, you know, they they brought about the whole, you know, he wants order, um, which is kind of, you know, still holding true for Sinestro now. Um, and then in contrast, though, you know, you have Kyle Rayner, who, unlike Hal Jordan, unlike Sinestro, he is, you know, bound more so to the standards of society. Um, and since he knows fear, you know, which they've brought up a number of times in the comic, he knows fear so that he is going to, you know, 
he's going to spend more time thinking about things and maybe look at a different direction, a different, you know, tact of going at something instead of just racing headlong into it and, you know, defeat it with, you know, your, you know, your, your, your muscles and nothing else. Um, and, and they don't really go into it, but, you know, what they're talking about is, is kind of like the basis for DC Comics as opposed to Marvel Comics in general from the beginning. You know, like, if you look at DC Comics, you have Superman, you know, this larger-than-life character who he always knows what's right and wrong. And, you know, Green Lantern who rushes in and, you know, saves the day. And Batman who, you know, can defeat any villain. And, you know, it was it's all very larger-than-life, very superhero-y. And then you have Marvel, who, you know, takes a completely different turn, and their characters have flaws. You know, they, they're they more realistic. Um, and it, it, it really, you know, it underscores the whole, the whole argument here, as far as, you know, yes, you know, there's definitely something that is very likable about that larger-than-life hero. Um, but it's not for everybody. Hmm. Well, I was going to say before <clears throat> is how this chapter made me realize how much more interested I would have been in this whole book if it had more Kyle stuff in it. Because <laughs> he, it's, I think it's it's the difference between Kyle and Hal is that with with Kyle and they. They make a big point of saying this in here is that, like, with Kyle, it's never black and white like it is with Hal Jordan. Like, right. he's all layers, he's all shades of gray, and it's all about navigating through the middle. And that makes it a lot more, I don't know, I, w- I want to say more compelling to think about because it's not just your stark right or versus wrong. I, I mean, I suppose it is, but it's in, it's like, scattered throughout so much minutia that you have enough right versus wrong debates that it adds up to a more complex whole than I think you get with Hal Jordan or even Sinestro. Less so Sinestro than Hal, I think. But by the same token, when you're reading a story about Mm -hmm. Hal Jordan or Sinestro, it has the potential to be more epic because they don't take the time to think about the stuff, they just rush right in, and there are consequences to doing that. Yeah, yeah. I think they, they even said in here, like, there's there's something, like, extra exhilarating about seeing, like, Hal just do something rash, but with complete conviction. Like, you wish you could do that, yeah. and get away with it, and have it be awesome. Even though Kyle Rayner's approach would be a lot more realistic in Air Bunnies and a lot more more like probably appropriate to the situation. Right. Yeah, the the you, you, a fire can't burn full blast forever. I mean, that's essentially what they're saying is is Hal and Sinestro both <clears throat> full blasted everything and because they did it they got spectacular results when they succeeded and you know, all all this stuff and that made them the greatest Green Lanterns, but you can only go that far for so long. I mean, with Sinestro, it was Hal coming into Korgar and seeing how he did things, and with Hal, it was the destruction of Coast City and you know <laughs> the infection of Parallax, 
And there's only so so long you can keep up that go-balls-to-the-wall mentality. And Kyle never really had that, yeah. which is good and, for him, obviously. And think about that. Like, the, like two guys who had tremendously devastating falls are still thought of as the greatest Green Lanterns. Whereas Kyle, who, you know, even even when he got taken by Parallax, it, it wasn't his fault. Like, yeah. He's, like, everybody's still cool with him, but he never gets elevated like those two do. Yeah, it's well, it's kind of like the, you know, the risk versus reward, you know, <laughs> concept. You know, the, the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. Hal Jordan and Sinestro will put everything on the line time and time again, you know, and hence you have them, you know, gaining the titles of greatest Green Lantern. Whereas with Kyle, you know, his his plans are, you know, maybe a little more well thought out or, like you said, more realistic. Um, and he gets the job done, but... You know, he may get tossed around a little bit. There may be a few bumps along the way. He'll get the job done, but it's not as big a risk. So, I mean, he's still great. He's just not elevated to the greatest status. I think it could come back around to fantasy versus reality again. Or, like, art versus whatever. The the thing we were talking about before. (laughs) Because, like... Because, I mean, like, Kyle's big strength, his big selling point for most people is that he's the relatable one. You know, he's the Peter Parker of the DC universe. He is the everyman character. He's the one that real people can kind of see themselves in when reading the stories. Whereas Hal is like the, the over the top, larger than life fantasy kind of character. Hmm. So Jim, why did you pick this particular one? Um, you know, like I, I really, I like the concept of, you know, trying to figure out why, you know, why Hal Jordan and Sinestro have gained that title, but Kyle never has, even though, like, <laughs> I I kind of agree with it based on, you know, past results. Like, I agree. You know, Hal Jordan, the things that he's done to save the Green Lantern Corps, it's it, it kind of does make him the greatest. Whereas Kyle, you know, definitely my favorite Green Lantern, um, I, I would say, you know, more compelling to read for me personally, um, but maybe not the greatest, you know, in terms of things that he's done. I think it's amazing that the very next chapter is titled, There Should Be No Forgiveness for Hal Jordan. <laughs> yeah, it's clearly written by somebody else. <laughs> yeah, his opening sentence is like, Hal Jordan's a murderer. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I wonder if it was one person that re- that wrote this entire book, then would it be more cohesive, and you wouldn't have the problem of okay, if you read chapter to chapter to chapter. Uh, I'm kind of glad they didn't do that because, I mean, the, the this whole subject in general can get really biased really easily so like the more people you have tackling different subjects the more the more like I want to say the more honest 
work you'll end up having. But I don't. That's not what. That's not the right word. You know what I'm trying to say? Well, you you mean like you know true to the material? Yeah, like you're not like you won't you won't have an entire book that's going to skew in one direction because it's written by one guy who has his own personal set of beliefs and ideals. Right. A, mul- yeah. a multitude of opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like having one chapter describing how Hal Jordan is one of the greatest Green Lanterns, and then the next chapter being about how he should never be forgiven. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, any other reading in this book that you happen to like, or subjects you thought were interesting? or? Well, I... Because I know... Jim, in particular, I know you skewed the one about time travel. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, um, I yeah, I had started reading that first. Um, I didn't I didn't read the whole thing, but you know, like it, it's it's actually kind of like what Dan was saying as far as like they put out you know right right in the beginning they lay out their entire you know thesis and then the rest of it is just. <laughs> you know, hammering it into your head over and over again from slightly different perspectives. Um, it's basically all centered around the Justice League, you know, unlimited cartoon, uh, primarily the episode where, um, the, was a Kronos has the time belts and they go through time and all of a sudden, you know, Green Lantern, John Stewart, um, he meets his son from the future, who is, you know, he's got the, the hawk, hawkman type wings, so he realizes... Warhawk. Huh? Warhawk. Yeah. Uh, so he realizes that he, in the future, has a child with Shira. Um You know, so the chapter basically goes into, it's like, well, if you know your future, then you know, you try and prevent it, then it could end up leading to that future happening based on, you know, a determined, you know, fate, or if you believe in an open fate, then it's just, it's the kind of like time travel philosophy talk that it's very circular in reasoning. Um, and it didn't really, I don't, I don't think it really adds anything to the conversation. Yeah, I saw the yeah. title, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, the last thing I need is another time travel argument, so I skipped it. <laughs> well, it's the same debate that goes on in religion, is if God is all-knowing, uh, then how can we have free will? Yeah. So. Yeah, so I, something like that, <laughs> like, I really think that some of these topics could have been handled, you know, in a completely different way. Because, um, I mean... Yeah, okay, so you, you basically have the most generic, you know, time travel <laughs> argument in the world. That's basically, the, the, the whole chapter is the most generic time travel thing in the world, and it's based off the cartoon. Um, it, 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 they really could have given a lot more thought or depth into that. This is why, like, this is why I, like, well, not only why, but one of the things I love about Doctor Who is they do time travel constantly. Like, all the time. They're doing time travel. But they never get hung up in any of, like, the usual crap. They just, they have, like, a, like, a loose set of rules that they follow. They never make a big deal about it, about, like, paradoxes or any of that shit. And they just, like, have fun with it. And they embrace the idea that, you know what? 
we don't know how time travel works, so we're just gonna go with this. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, what about you, Dan? What else did you read in this book, if anything? Oh, much like the Ceranic Natu chapter, I the uh, one about uh, Terry Berg jumped out at me. The uh, hate crime as terrorism in Brothers Keeper. Brothers Keeper being the title of the story arc from the the uh, the Judd Winnick written Kyle Rayner Rayner <laughs> era, um, where uh, Terry was Kyle's. Um, his intern, assistant, whatever, when Kyle had that magazine job, and uh, you know Terry was gay, and he and his boyfriend were chased down one night, and and Terry was like beaten within an inch of his life, and Kyle, you know, I think I think he was eavesdropping on the police or something when he like overheard like, you know, we caught one of the guys, and and. You know, no clue, no clue where the rest of them got off to. We'll probably never find them. So Kyle, as Green Lantern, one night, that night actually goes to his cell, uh, soundproofs it, puts up a convincing hologram so nobody will know he's in there, and basically tortures the uh, the names out of this guy, out of this kid. Like he pins him to a wall upside down, breaks his wrists, and you know he he he. he uh, confronts the other two attackers in an alley where he like forcefully like like he forces them into a car wreck and then just starts like beating the crap out of them to the point where like he goes to the justice league to try and like ask flash to like undo all this bad crap with the cosmic treadmill and 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 it raised it was it was where like i wasn't sure where this chapter was going and like for the most part it's it talked about like like whether or not a hate crime should be different than a regular crime or if it's all the same thing or not and and you know oddly <laughs> that part of it just made me flash back to South Park <laughs> where they they the kids had this delightful presentation about you know how all crimes are hate crimes because they're motivated by some level of bad feeling and hate towards other people or whatever. Like I thought the more interesting part of the <clears throat> of the whole chapter was was um the fact that that uh <clears throat> there's a lot of there are parallels between what Kyle did to these guys and what they did to Terry, you know, like other than, you know, he cornered them in an alley and started beating them up. Like he was he targeted them the same way they targeted Terry. You know, he he like applied like force and power that they could not hope to stand up against the same way they did to Terry. And it, it drew because I mean I've read that storyline a few times and I didn't like I never like drew the parallels between Kyle and the the assailants before. So that was an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, but. You're talking about, like, somebody who does nothing to provoke somebody else and getting beaten within an inch of your life, and then, you know, Kyle, who is basically standing up for his friend and going after the people that attacked and provoked somebody else. 
Yeah, but at the same time, he could have stood up for his friend by snaring those two in a big green net and dropping them off at a police station. He didn't have to, like, crash their car into a giant green wall and then provoke a fight that he knew for a fact would end with them in a bloody mess. Yeah, but I mean, like, honestly... And, and I'm by no means saying that they didn't deserve it and I wouldn't do the same thing. Yeah, like, that teaches them the lesson. Because if you just snare them and bring them to jail, then it's like, it's like, well, we better not pick on Green Lantern's friends anymore, but we can certainly pick on everybody else. Whereas, you know, if if Green Lantern comes and beats you with an inch an inch of your life because you just beat somebody else with an inch of your life, you're never going to do that to anybody ever again. And, to, well, to that point, they they uh, part of the chapter says, like, you know, it's not just about Terry. You know, it's it sends, like, this ripple of fear throughout the gay community. Like, this could happen to any of us. And, I get, and you know, if... If, uh... If these if if these two if these two random homophobes could get the crap kicked out of them by a superhero, who like you know every other homophobe in town is going to probably be afraid of the same thing. So maybe they'll think twice before before uh, going after somebody in the dark. Just like just like uh, it's feared that you know other gay couples would be afraid of showing their their I'll say true colors out in public, you know? Right. The, the only other chapter I liked was uh, the uh, the one entitled Another Boxing Glove, Green Lantern and the Limits of Imagination. That, that was a, an interesting. I mean, I, I kind of skimmed through it, but the basic idea is you can only go so, so far with imagination. Like, one of the sections of the chapter itself was entitled, Why Can't He Make a Square Circle? So basically... Oh! Like, <laughs> you, you you can't imagine a concept unless you have an idea for that concept. So you, you can only... And, and a lot of it is uh, tied in with what you can think of on the spot. Like, you know, if you're about to get into a fight with someone, you imagine a... Uh, if you the difference between imagining a boxing glove and a intricate catapult with a jail over here and all this system, which is going to come to you first, you know, just sock the person in the face. That's what you're going to do. And um, yeah, John was, Stewart would be impossible. <laughs> <laughs> this is this. It, it was funny to me because the reason I like this chapter and, and part of the reason I also like the one I actually ended up going with. Is because they both tie into the Green Lantern Heroes uh, Heroes Quest book that Denny O'Neill wrote in the JLA novel series. Uh, the, this particular uh, chapter about another boxing glove, Kyle, like in in the book, he tries to put out a fire using a Green Lantern, you know, projected fire extinguisher, but he can't do it because he has doesn't have the concept of how a fire fire extinguisher works. So it won't the ring won't create it. So he ends up just like you know surrounding the thing, the object in a bubble, and, and you know cutting off the oxygen so the fire goes out because he understands that. <laughs> and uh, and in the in the same way, the first chapter, the one I actually picked, the reason I like that one is because it draws a parallel. You know, I said you know this that chapter draws the parallel between Plato and the Guardians having you know you know censorship and stuff. Well, in in that particular book. Uh, the Guardians have no concept of art. Like, art in any form 
music theater, you know, expressions on, on paintings, whatever. Art is a is a thing unique to Earth, so the Guardians have no concept of it in the, in that particular story. So that's that's part of the reason I also liked it. So these those two chapters draw a parallel with a, a Green Lantern story I really enjoy. So kind of reminds ne- me. Of- oh, go ahead. I've I've never really thought of that though. Like when when Kyle does his artsy stuff, I don't I don't have if I had the ring and had to react on a moment's notice. I'm gonna punch somebody in the face rather than you know come up with this lab crap and this artistic flair. Like I'm, it's a reactionary thing, you know. So well, but it. What you call it? Um, I think actually they summed it up pretty good with like the movie. How each like if you look at each action figure. Um, and, and even before that, on the websites, you know, the, they had like preview images of different lanterns from different planets, um, and they like bio and like what their go-to, you know, type of, you know, thing was, um, you know, and like one character would create like you know things that look like fish, um, another person would create like you know blades, another one would create like maces. Um, so, you know, for different for different lanterns, for different races, for different you know people, it's uh, you, you, your go to images are going to be different. So somebody like Hal Jordan, yeah, you know, boxing glove, you know, stuff like that, the simple stuff, um, you know, that's what he's used to. But mm-hmm. Kyle, being an artist, like his mind is just naturally you know, inventive like that. And I think the the fire extinguisher thing, I mean, yeah. like, realistically, like, you know, Kyle has created, like, in, like, one of the first, like, two or three issues that he was there, that he was, you know, he created, one of the first few things that he creates was a locomotive. Now, I mean, obviously, Kyle Rayner, the artist, doesn't know how a locomotive works, and yet he was able to create that. And I've seen him like I've seen him like cruise around in space in a big green car before. I don't yeah. think he knows how the car works. Giant suit of armor, that, <laughs> you know, with servos and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, impossible Japanese mechs that don't even exist and yeah. can't work. Enormous guns. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, any gun. <laughs> silence gun, you know. Yeah. I I think like like what it comes down to also is that, you know, you touched on that. What pretty well, but like if it's something that you're already used to thinking about, or or a way you're used to thinking, it will come to you like naturally, like in in the moment, unless you're like really surprised, in which case my reaction would be to just shoot. But like if <clears throat> like doing like the arty stuff with the ring comes naturally to Kyle because he's an artist and he thinks this way all day every day anyway. Um, what I was gonna say is it this. The whole um, the whole thing about how like no art in the Guardians culture kind of thing, it reminds me of uh, the Emerald Knights movie with the first Lantern story. Uh, Avra, I think, was the character. I don't remember if that was the character's name, but um, his whole thing was that you know he he uh, he was the first. He basically he made the first construct ever. Like this, 
he took the ring to to a level of use that the Guardians didn't even intend it to be able to do because like they had a like a they had a limited scope of their idea of like what a Green Lantern was going to be and do. But once you filter it through like another person from another culture, it becomes something more. Like it becomes a better tool. Hmm. I highly recommend that that novel, by the way. Just so you know, I've read it multiple times and it still holds up. Heroes Quest. Yep. Yeah, that's they have an audio book too, right? Yep. Yeah, I have the novel itself and the audio book. Well, look at you. And <laughs> you could go on Amazon and get a used copy as low as ninety nine cents with three ninety nine shipping. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Just like ninety nine cents for the physical one? Yes. Wow. Plus three ninety nine shipping. Oh well. Yeah. Well, that's still good. So we've we've given our review of the book as a whole. I mean, you don't don't read it cover to cover, but you know, definitely, I, I would say it's definitely worth buying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for, it's yeah. It's definitely more fun to talk about than it is to read. <laughs> <laughs> and I should say, like, co- we say cover to cover a lot. This has a good cover on it. This is like. It's the coloring is really well done. It's got like a cool title. It's Green Lantern and Philosophy. No evil shall escape this book. So like it hits you with like a little little like humor and charm right off the bat, and it looks visually appealing. So, like it's a simple packaging, but they did really good with it. I think. I thought plus it, it was you know, plus okay. it introduced concepts that you know at least in Dan's case at least you never really thought or Dan and Jim. Uh, didn't really think about like Jim. You didn't think, uh, you didn't think before to attribute greatest Green Lantern to Kyle and Dan. You didn't think about Sora's O's conflicting. Right. Yeah. And so so it opens up possibilities we didn't even think could happen at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I I would definitely say it's a worthwhile book. Um, it has its its pros and its cons. It's definitely not a hundred percent gold, but. You know, there's definitely enough in it that is uh, interesting. And, you know, like, time only permitted me to, you know, read some of this book. But, you know, in the future, I'll definitely be, you know, touching back on it from now and again. I think, though, I I think the target, like, the ideal reader for this might be somebody who's kind of casually into Green Lantern. Because being as deep into it as I am... I was like I I said it already like I got really like just bothered by like the all the references and like how stuff came across and uh, and like what I perceived to be in like an unoriginality with a lot of like the choices they made for the content but and at the same time the way they put in explanations and references I don't think would really do anything for somebody who is totally new to Green Lantern. So if you know somebody who's who's kind of into it, like maybe they saw the movie, liked it, and, well, first of all, shake their hand. And then, you know, maybe read a few comics or read Black as Night or something, then, you know, pass them this book. I think they might get get a kick out of it. It's also geared the casually into philosophy as well. I mean, like I said in the beginning of the episode... This this type of book, the And Philosophy series, which there is a lot of, if you look it up on Amazon, there is all kinds of stuff. Um, but it's 
you know, it's it's a gateway into philosophy by a co- by a concept you already are familiar with, whether it be a TV show or a comic book or a movie. Um, there's, I think, there's even one based solely off uh, Batman Begins, rather than just Batman in comics, just just Batman Begins. Hmm. So. Yep. And I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a uh, kind of funny or interesting to note that at the bottom of the cover. This book has not been approved or licensed or sponsored by any entity or person involved in creating or production or producing Green Lantern, the comics, films, or TV series. Which made me immediately wonder: Does DC know they did this? <laughs> hmm. And uh, just so we're thorough, um, we did get one email on the subject um, from Mark Marble. And his synopsis of the book is, For the most part, I enjoyed the book. The chapters I liked most were related to the emotional spectrum, and especially the ones dealing with Hal's parallax, could he be redeemed, etc. It was one of the better books in the series I've read thus far. Certainly it was better to me than supervillains and philosophy that disappointed me as a whole. One fair criticism of the book was the fact that you didn't, if you didn't already know a great deal about the GL universe, you probably could get lost easy. But clearly the book was being geared towards GL fans first and foremost, much like the Star Wars one is aimed for their fans. Hmm. So there is that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he he said supervillains and philosophy. It's funny because I was torn for the longest time between buying that book or buying superheroes and philosophy. And I ended <laughs> up buying superheroes and philosophy, and I'm glad I did. <laughs> Avoid the crappy one. And for Dan, there, I'm looking at the the cover of this book, the inside uh, page. There is a South Park and philosophy. Yes. <laughs> uh, I miss that show. I haven't watched it in so long. It's such a smart show. Hmm. So, um, you know, speaking of the Green Lantern movie, when I was on my uh, my cruise. Uh, last week, they actually had Green Lantern playing um, <laughs> basically like twice a day that it would play, and like there would be every once in a while, like you know, uh, and we'd be getting ready for bed, and it'd be on, so you know, just chill out and watch it. Like, like where was it? Like, did you like TVs in your cabin, or yeah, like was yeah. there one big common area? Yeah, no, no, it was it was in the in the room. Um, you know, and you had plenty of channels, but, you know, it's like, okay, Green Lantern's on, let me check that out. And I guess it's because enough time has passed, um, and I guess because now I'm looking at it without the, you know, mm-hmm. without expectation. You know, like, I already know, you know, I know what to expect, I know what's going to happen, um, and I know what not to expect, more, more importantly. Um, and when you look at it through through that filter, <clears throat> it it's a much better film. Because um, you know Lauren Lauren really enjoyed it. Um, you know, Did she see it in the theater with you? Oh yeah, yeah. She I, there are other superhero movies that she's enjoyed more. I think she liked Thor quite a bit more. Smart woman. But uh. And that's another one that, again, after, you know, I saw that again on the ship also, and, 
That one, that one, I, I like a lot more now. Um, you didn't like Thor before? No, no, I liked it. I definitely liked it, but like the the concept of Asgard, how it's like in space and stuff like that, it was it was a little confusing, um, and you know it, it's hard to rectify with how they existed a long time ago and now, you know, like time just kind of like stood still for them. It was just, it, like, that particular concept just kind of, like, tripped me up a little. Um, and, again, now that I'm, like, watching it without the expectations, I can just, like, sit there and enjoy it. And, you know, be- between the two of them, like, I enjoyed them so much more now than I did when they first came out. Um, which is awesome. You know, I'm, I'm glad that I can appreciate them both. <laughs> God. I'm glad you enjoyed your magical comic movie cruise where they just project movies on, like, the hull of the ship. Well, no, I, I had I had plenty of time to watch some of the movies because, uh... Now, the last time we recorded, um... I, I, don't, I don't know that anybody would actually pick this up from, from listening, but, uh, when we recorded that, I was sick before we recorded that episode. I was sick during that episode, and I was sick immediately following that episode. Um, I was... As when you say you were sick, you mean throwing up constantly. Yeah, that was one of the things. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, no, it was, it was bad. Um, I had some kind of stomach virus. It was not good. I was violently ill. Um, and the next day, like... The next day, like, I was, like, completely planning on going into work. I figured, oh, this will be great. My, my last day before I have to, you know, take, I go on, on a week-long vacation. It'll be awesome. I'll go in. I'll finish some stuff up. And then on my way home, I have to make a few stops to get a few last, you know, minute things. And none of that happened. I was, like, in bed the entire day. I was just, like, I couldn't move. I was I was in pain from throwing up so hard the night before. Um, yeah, so, so that was great. So then Saturday was the day that we were flying down to Puerto Rico to sail out of. And miraculously, like, Friday night, like, I started recovering. So that Saturday, I had, like, no problems. Like, I was, I was feeling great. I was feeling amazing. Um, and, and, you know, we get on the ship for, for lunchtime. I have lunch first, you know, significant meal in over a day, like a day and a half, and, uh, you know, I'm feeling great, feeling awesome, we go to dinner, and I start eating dinner, and, like, my appetite starts fading, (laughs) and I have a relapse that night, Oh, yeah, which wouldn't be so bad, but then I asked Lauren, hello? Was it over the side of the ship? Oh, no, no, that was all, all in the cabin. I asked Lauren to get me some uh, some medicine, and the particular medicine that I requested was not available in the general store on the ship. You had to go down to the infirmary, oh. and as soon as you go to the infirmary, they ask you, oh, what room number are you? She tells them the room number, and she then she proceeds to tell them, you know, it's like, oh, my husband needs some medicine. It's like, they're like, oh, well, he has to come down if he wants the medicine. Five minutes later, I get a telephone call while I'm in the room. Like, yes, Mr. Ford, you need to come down to the infirmary. 
<laughs> so I go down to the infirmary. They check me out. They're like, oh, yeah, okay, you're going to be quarantined to your room for the next 24 hours. <laughs> Hell. <gasps> yeah. So the first day on the ship, you know, the first full day on the ship, I was locked in the room. Couldn't go out, couldn't do anything. <laughs> you were locked in a room made to watch the Green Lantern movie over and over. <laughs> People would call that such punishment. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I look at it like I I flew, you know, a couple thousand miles and uh, <laughs> got locked in a room for a day. It's like, oh, that's that's a blast. That's great. So, but the rest of the vacation was top notch. The rest of the vacation was amazing, you Visited some beautiful islands. Um, scenery was always so gorgeous. Um, the service and the food and everything else on the ship was amazing. We went on Royal Caribbean. Um, the ship was beautiful. I mean, the amount of relaxing that I did on that trip was like unprecedented. I've never, never actually enjoyed beaches as much as I did on that trip. So it's a lot of fun. Well, cool. So that does it for this edition of The Lantern Cast. <laughs> Thank God. Oh, uh, the one the one other thing that I'd like to throw out, if uh, if anybody else reads, you know, the book, this Green Lantern and Philosophy, um, and they have a particular chapter that they really liked, if you want to, you know, call in and with a voicemail and give us a brief synopsis of your favorite chapter, um, that'd be cool play that on a future episode yeah yeah you know a year from now wants to play you know voicemails listen we've been getting really good with the voicemails <laughs> yeah mm. <sighs> okay so a nice short one tonight y'all <laughs> yeah. short yeah in fact if you can call in and tell us about those chapters in German that would be appreciated <laughs> I won't, I'm not going to appreciate that. I don't care what you appreciate. <laughs> appreciate it in English. If you'd like to contact us, it's lanterncast at gmail.com. Or our individual email accounts, which is Jim, Dan, Chad, James, or Jason at lanterncast.com. If you'd like to download the show, it's available via iTunes. Just go into the search box and hit Lantern Cast and subscribe. And if you have the time, please drop a review as it helps increase our visibility on iTunes. But only if you have the time. Yes. Uh, we have a phone number, which is 708-LANTERN, where we accept any and all German commentary <laughs> on any topic. Uh, we're also available on Facebook, and occasionally things go on there that don't go on on the forums. Yes. We we have... Oh, yeah, we have a forum. Thecomicforums.com. Scroll down to L for LanternCast. Uh, join See? the community there. See how I led you in there? I gave I you a little do. seat. Yeah. I do, I do, I do. <laughs> Speaking of joining us, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, just, uh, the hell is that? The joining and following are not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> the Lantern Cast Core, man. You can join the Lantern Cast Core. Just search for Lantern Cast via on Twitter and just follow us. Yes. And um, That's oh yeah, we have a we have a website, lanterncast.com, and there's all kind of stuff in there. 
Chad has a blog that I think he still does. Coreconjecture.blogspot.com. Yeah, it's temporarily on hiatus mostly because it's high, It's hard to uh, come up with new theories because all you can come up with is stuff on new material considering all the old stuff has already been played out. And I don't have a job, so it's kind of hard to keep up with uh, what's going on in the comics right now. But maybe I'll just back off for a little bit and do a couple of old reviews or something like that. So, well, I'll tell you what what is a good source of core conjecture it is this little book I heard about, Green Lantern and Philosophy. No evil <laughs> shall escape this book. <laughs> yes, uh, that is core conjecture at blogspot.com. <laughs> Yes. Your one-stop shop for something and such. Your one-stop shop for lollipops? For semi-ludicrous uh, theories. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> yep. I just like the word ludicrous. Ludicrous! Flo-rida. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> yeah. Good, n- good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Play us out with some Flo-rida, James. <laughs> oh, please, no. Good night. <laughs> night. Jim Ford. You're so fake. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was like a Mickey Mouse. Like, you weren't using his tone of voice, but it was just kind of the way you said it sounded like Mickey Mouse. Hi, everybody. today jim texts me he's like should we announce this as like part one of two so that we could come back and do more of this book later and i'm like let's see how this goes first because i think i hate this book (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's like i'm the wrong person to ask (laughs) what oh do you guys hear the uh apparently there's a gun that they just invented Oh, good, they're making new ones. A new, yeah, well, it's a brand new gun that can silence you. Isn't that all guns? No, no, I, it it doesn't doesn't shoot a bullet at you. It just silences you. What does that mean? Oh, basically the blast from the gun, whatever it may be, whether it be sonics or something like that, somehow it enables you to not... You can't speak. Right. What like happens, that's 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 the effect of the gun shooting at you. It uh, it records what you're saying, and plays it back 0.2 seconds later. Because apparently, when you're talking and you hear your voice as it's coming out, mm-hmm. like your brain can process that no problem. But if it creates like a slight little echo effect that, you know, it's like it's coming in loud and clear, like 0.2 seconds after. You know, slightly out of sync, then it starts confusing your brain, 
and you just shut down and you can't speak. Why did they invent this? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> They're like, you know what? Crowds are noisy. <laughs> what the hell? <sighs> so, I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> I gotta figure out a way to do it to Chad. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Not gonna work. You, there's a little red button that can silence them right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. Actually, that is true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> okay, already. Yep. <laughs> I'm just picturing saying the like. I'm 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 assuming all Chad's neighbors because they're all in Texas, and I'm like, hey, there's a new gun, huh? But instead of bullets, oh. <laughs> oh man. The, the bigger question is why is Jim Ford keeping up to date on the new workings and weapons? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? He just got, like, behind the dryer is just a giant gun locker. He's got, like, a war machine armor. He's got everything back there. A giant robot from RoboCup. Yeah. <laughs> nah, I just have a giant robot dinosaur and a giant penny and a giant playing card. We have anti-sound guns. They, they can't come up with a adequate fuel source for jetpacks, but we have anti-sound guns, yeah. Good job, science. They have jetpacks. <laughs> no, they have ones that are, like, Based around like fans and shit, and water. Yeah, I'm the I'm talking about like jetpacks, like a jet, like they don't have a fuel source that generates enough enough power and is light enough that it would be practical to go any kind of distance. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Trust me, I look. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that they have that. No, no, they don't. It's just that it's incredibly expensive and not the safest. No, they have commercial. They have one that it's like a gas-powered thing, <laughs> which immediately makes it not what I'm talking about. So, and wait, it's oh, you want like a rocket pack? Yeah, that shoots fire. You've have you, I've have you seen the Rocketeer? I want I that have. to happen. Yes, you want that. I want that. Yes, because that would set your ass on fire. Well, that was the 40s version of it. Today would be much, much safer, and Apple would make it. So it would be fine. <laughs> uh, okay, we have to start now. <laughs> All right. My brain can't take any more of these off-air shenanigans. Let's just, like, screw psychology. Let's just talk about Velocity. technology. Screw that, too. And we'll talk about, like, future fake technology. Oh. <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah, let's do that. We've already done that. Sweet. Good night, everybody. <laughs>